God, we are so thankful that your power enlightens our spirits to see and to understand who you are, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that it's your goal for us to walk out of here a little bit more chiseled into the image of Jesus than when we came because of our praise, because of our study of your word. And Lord, we pray that that would too be our, our desire as well. Lord, um, we pray that we would just worship you in spirit and in truth and learn from your word so that we can apply it to our lives and be transformed. And uh, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, be seated, please. And we would love for everybody to uh, fill out a, a connection card, okay? Especially maybe if you're worshiping with us for the first time, we would love to know who you are. And uh, we'll get you information about the church. If you request that, you can request it on the back, by the way. Uh, information about the church or what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be a member of a church? You can check those boxes and we'll be happy to get back with you. Uh, a couple other things that we wanted to be sure you know about uh, as, as we're trying to, you know, uh, restructure uh, uh, the main hallway, which is not going to be in use for a few months now. We need to let you know what's going on. So, um, there is no more prayer board, uh, because that's off limits, uh, but prayer, uh, we'll make available prayer sheets, the, the same sheets that are available on Wednesday night, prayer meeting, we'll make those available, uh, we'll, we'll post that where that's going to be, probably out here on this information board, if you want to be uh, take a prayer sheet and see what's going on prayer request-wise in the life of the church. Also, um, many of you are used to dropping off information, uh, maybe a, 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 you know, a student, uh, uh, you know, summer camp uh, envelope or whatever, or your, your tithe envelope by the, uh, by the office mail slot. Well, the new mail slot is right there at the information uh, wall there, and it's a, it's a new little black uh, or uh, uh, oak-colored box, okay? And so it's, it's locked, so you can put offering in there, you can put whatever in there, and we'll check that uh, frequently, okay? And then the other thing is you're used to uh, signing up for things, uh, which is right across from the office. Again, that's gone. So we're going to create a space in the commons where all things sign up that you can't do via the internet. Uh, you have to do on paper. Uh, we'll have a spot for you to, central location for you to sign up on all those things, okay? So just be aware of those changes. We'll try to get that out in, in the email news. We'll try to put that in the bulletin. And, uh, and moving forward, we'll try to get all that information to you. So pray for us as we try to uh, work through all these types of things. Hey, let's continue to, to worship with uh, this great song that talks about the greatness of our God. Let's sing it together. You give life, you are love. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your Your breath. 
the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Let's do it, church. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. praise to pour out thanks than God's great gift of salvation. Amen. Let's sing about it just now. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am saved on the solid ground. The Lord is my
may be seated. Well, last week our pastor shared with us uh, the ver verse uh, 17. Oh, the screen's a little bit off. Sorry about that. It's better than it was in the first service. <laughs> we didn't have anything. So, uh, so let me read it from here. I can't see all that. The, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. And we just need to remember that this revelation, this knowledge, this wisdom, this opening the eyes of our hearts comes from the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has both the desire and the power to do it. Amen? Listen to this song. Is this King of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken word? My conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need. Who is this King of glory? offers it to me Who is this King of Angels Oh blessed Prince of Peace Revealing things of heaven And all its mysteries My spirit's ever longing For His grace and wish to stand Jesus, King of glory, Son of God and Son of beyond measure, the gracious King of kings, the Lord of earth and heaven, the creator of all things, who is this King of glory, he's everything to me. Let's read it together. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. And all God's people said, Well, I'm very thankful that you were able to see the words projected onto the screen. In the first service, we didn't have that luxury. And I told our first service that it's kind of interesting how we've moved through the years, haven't we? I remember, uh, other than having the hymn book in the pew, which we had, if we ever introduced a song, uh, and you didn't want to give out a written copy where it would lock people into looking down and not looking up, we'd have to roll in a projector. Remember, the thing would be on a cart. And then if you were fortunate enough to have a screen, then uh, you could bring it in. Or at one of my churches, we had a drop-down screen that would come out of the ceiling, just drop down out of nowhere. And we thought, well, you know, we, we are uh, spoiled today, aren't we? Uh, technology, of course, has been kind to us in many ways. We're able to present a song and for you to follow along with the words, which is vitally important. We appreciate. Uh, he is the king of glory, by the way, isn't he? He is. But I want to remind you on the flip side of that, when you, we've been so hit with technology and we have all these things, right? I trust that you're aware that the gulf is wider than it's ever been in our world today between the God of the Bible and the God of modern culture and religion. The God of modern culture and religion is a God of sentimental love, not holy love. We actually think in our country that love, the way the world describes it, would provide means to abort babies in foreign countries and call it love and take your tax dollars to do it. Y'all do realize that, right? There, there, there's kind of a major difference between the God of the Bible and the so-called God of modern culture. Let's call it folk religion. Because that's not Christianity. That's folk religion. In folk religion, the God they talk about will forgive no matter what. But our Bible tells us that he only forgives through his son. Right? Modern culture calls him the man upstairs. And when you approach him, he's just an indulgent father, and he's going to give you everything you want. That's what the world says. Today, even in Christian circles, God is portrayed as powerful, but not invincible. His love and mercy, they're exalted, but not as universal lordship over every area of life. We think, as Christians, well, as long as my children profess to know the Lord, they're saved, that means they've got their fire insurance card, they're good to go. It doesn't really matter how they think or how they live. It just matters that they're on their way to heaven, right? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a crisis in our world when we think to be a Christian simply means sentimental love or sign a card, walk down an aisle, and we think that that equates to true salvation. We're in trouble. If it is true salvation, then the lordship of Christ extends to every area of your life. Right? He's the owner, ruler, boss, we like to say to children, of not just saving you, but he becomes the lord of your life. Not just your savior, 
but your Lord. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote many years ago, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But in our day, if I ask most people, what's the first thought that comes into your mind when you think about God, you're going to say, my feelings. Right? How I feel. Or, or what is the most important thing about you at all? You may not even say God at all. Well, it's just according to how I feel about something, some things. Well, remember, knowing God is not just knowing about his character. It's also knowing what God has done for you. And that's what we've been studying, correctly? <clears throat> we've been studying this in the word of God. So to know God is to know him not only for who he is, but also for what this great almighty God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, has done for us. Do you remember what we've done so far? We've, we've had these, these two peti- this one petition from last week that we would know that we would have that God would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then now we're building upon the next petition in this prayer, beginning in verse 18. Again, when you look at your bulletin, uh, you have a sub-point of this really overarching second point, praying that God is that God will give to us or grant to us his holy purposes, that they would be lived out in our Christian life. And then we looked at the first one last week, Spirit of Wisdom, Knowledge. Today we have titled it, Pray That, that We Will Know God's Great Grace. And don't get confused in the outline because it's one heading, Pray That We Will Know God's Great Grace, and then it should be enumerated one, two, three, because we're going to talk about what that great grace looks like. Okay, now, let's read the text of Scripture. Are you ready? Words mean something. That's why we study the Bible. Look at the Word of God, beginning in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe let's stop there and then he's going to tell you what that power actually looks like right resurrection we'll talk about those things a little later but today we meet the second petition the new american standard bible we call the nas it actually looks like it starts a new sentence and it reads i pray that god will do this but in the esv it says clearly having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So, last week, we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Because we, as believers, need to look at this world through Christ-centered. In other words, that's your orientation, right? Does this make sense? That you are looking at the world as someone who belongs to Jesus. And therefore, you also look at the world through gospel focus. The answer to the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter if they believe in abortion or transgender or homosexuality, whatever their belief may be, the only thing that can change them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can change us is the gospel. So, let's build upon this principle. Pray that we will know God's great grace. Do you know what he's really saying? He prays that we can grasp salvation. Hope of our calling, rich inheritance, power of God. That's what he's praying for, for us to understand salvation. And I know some of you get a little edgy when I say this, but grammar is important. You have to love the grammar because the Bible is written in Greek, not English. So in order order for us to figure out what something means, we have to at least study and labor to figure out what it is saying. Why? Because it's so vitally important that you understand what the Bible is actually saying when it says having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's very, very important. So, notice what it said before, that God will give to you, and there's two things he wants us to get. One is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But there's a second thing God wants to give to us, and the Bible says in this text, eyes of the heart that have been enlightened. And when you look at that, you think, well, enlightened... I'm going back to 7th and 8th grade English. Can y'all handle that? Well, you did when you made a grade. Right? So all of us can get this. Enlightened is not a verb. It is a participle. 
and it's functioning as an adjective, and it is, it is actually modifying eyes of the heart. That's important, folks. Now, not to bore you, but let me give you the actual rendering. It means that God would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and that he would give us eyes of the heart which have already been enlightened to know. This is important. Why? Because Paul is not praying for something new to happen. He is praying for something that has already happened to you. When were your eyes enlightened? When you got saved. When there was conversion. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you became an enlightened person. Now, I hate to break the news for, to you. That doesn't mean your IQ went up. All right? But truly, really, spiritually, you had your eyes opened. And I know we labor in the text and we see words and we, we throw those things off and we don't think about it. But folks, the Bible is written for a reason. We have to find out what this is saying. And if you read this in the English, you would never, ever, ever think about all those nuances of this particular text. That's why we have to study. So Paul asked that God gives, give us eyes of the heart. Now what does this reference? The organ of the eye? What is he referencing? Well, he's referencing spiritual eyes. For instance, in Psalm 19, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then the psalmist would pray, open the eyes, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Now, was David asleep? Had his eyes closed? Said, God, please open my eyes so I can see. No, he's talking about spiritual perception. He's talking about being able to discern spiritual truth. But notice, he doesn't leave it just at eyes. It's the eyes of the heart. Did y'all know that heart has a wide range of definition in the Bible? More so in the Old Testament than the New. In the Old Testament, it can stand for spiritual life. It can stand for emotional life. It can mean physical life. Do you know what? Heart actually means more than anything else in the Old Testament most of the time. The mind. Whoa. It has something to do with the mind. It has something to do with what goes up, what goes on up here. That's what this is referencing. So it has something to do with the way we think. Can I show you? Chapter 4, verse 17 of Ephesians. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. All right, how do you understand? Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. Do you all notice how he puts these things together? Futility of mind, darkness of understanding, ignorance, hardness of heart. So he's trying to put together this for us. Now, if you ask professing believers today, are you concerned about what goes on up here? I wonder how many people will say yes. Because most people, even evangelicals in our day, because of the slip of secularism that's gotten into our churches, we actually believe that how we feel is most important. And that's why we jettison the truth. That's why we're afraid of the truth of God because we've succumbed to secularism and we think everything has to do with how we actually feel but actually what goes on up here affects what goes on right here David said keep a covenant with my eyes how does that start it starts from your mind right it actually affects what goes on right here it actually affects what goes on in here it affects even what your feet do right it affects everything so Paul prays that the eyes of his heart will be enlightened. The enlightened eye of the heart. Now again, enlightened is something that happened in the past. It carries on into the future. And what happens, again, when a person is converted? They're enlightened. You move from spiritual darkness. I'm only quoting the Bible, right? We move from a place of spiritual darkness into a place of spiritual light. There is a moral transformation where we don't want to live like we used to. Now, how does that happen? Well, it's a transference of being made alive in Christ. But don't forget that there's actually a mind transformation as well. 
God does something in your mind when you get saved. You believe me? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your heart. Is that what it says? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, although your IQ doesn't change when you get saved, your spiritual IQ does, right? There's a discernment that you have in your life that you did not have before. You actually see God differently. You see yourself differently when you become a Christian, when the light turns on. So, this is Paul's prayer. To do something in the Ephesian believers. It's already happened in the past and Paul is praying that it will continue on in the future. If you know Christ, then the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. But Paul doesn't stop praying that God would continue to give enlightened eyes of the heart. Let me show you Acts chapter 20 is the incredible pastoral, the greatest pastoral prayer in the Bible anywhere. And you know what church Paul was writing this to? Ephesus, Ephesians, right? The elders have come over from uh, Ephesus to Miletus to meet with Paul. Here's what he says in verse 28. Be careful, chapter 20, verse 28. Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit of God has made you an overseer. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in and among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you, listen to this, to the God and to the to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give to you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul knows that if we're going to ever be obedient and honor God with our Christian lives then we desperately need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. Not only beginning at conversion but even right now today if you're saved you're going through a continual enlightening of the eye of your heart for you to be able to walk and live for God and to be built up as he is asking us to be. How much thought do you actually give to your thought processes and your perception? Well, you're saying, well, the preacher, we let you do that on Sunday. Is that enough? I'm, how much actual thought do you, do you give to your thought processes? How much thought have you given to your own thought processes and perception? Do you have clear 2020 eyes of the heart vision? Or is it foggy? Is your eyesight failing? This is the organ that's failing. But how about the eyes of your heart? Spiritual eyes. At times I wonder if believers even care about that today. Just get us through. Easiest way. I just, I just want my fix. Quickly. I would rather not even have to think about these things. If I asked many of you what is the most important thing about you, you would say, it's how I feel. It's the experience that I have. Well, I want to point out to you that Paul is concerned about the way people think. And I, as your pastor, am concerned about the way you think. I'm concerned about your thoughts, about the way you perceive this world. It makes a difference in this church if we have wrong perception, if we miss what God is telling us in his word. I would submit that the biggest problem we have, again, is that our minds have succumbed themselves to the secular drift of our society. The way the world thinks has infiltrated the church in such an incredible way. Now, get it. You, you look around and we see Christian ethics lived out. We see practices lived out. We even see spirituality. But, but... When it comes to the fact of thinking and being a thinking being, we're more like the world than the church. We're more like the world than Christians. And can we sum this up pretty easily? We've stopped thinking like Christians and we've started thinking more like the world. Now we saw this slide years and years and years ago. But ladies and gentlemen, it's here. It's here in a huge, huge way. Even among those who... When we, we use a term like evangelical, what do we mean? Well, people who profess to know Jesus. 
But how in the world can we have such a gulf between the way people think on one side, if they think at all, versus those who are on the Christian side? I'm telling you, folks, you better stick with this. You better stick with the truth of what the Word of God says. So can't you see that Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know something? And the Holy Spirit of God works through the mind of a Christian. We need to take hold of this at FBCO, don't we? We need to grasp hold of this. We live in an age where the most important thing is how you feel. And what you think your experience was with the Spirit, whether it lines up with the Bible or not, that's irrelevant to them. It's only what feels good. He prays that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? What is the purpose of the eyes of the heart being enlightened? Listen, folks, it is so that we can say it. No. You do understand that's a thinking word, right? So that we can know. We live in a day where not only the mind is discounted, but also doctrine. <sighs> don't preach doctrine. It's hard to understand. Don't, don't preach doctrine because we don't need to know those things. Well, I'm telling you, you need to know those things. Because Paul says it has everything to do with whether you're going to grow in Christ or not, or how you're going to view the world, and it, it has to do with the way that you think. So this is vitally important for us to consider. When I start bringing you into line with these three things that he's going to ask for, the purpose of it, they're all things of teaching and doctrine and things that you have to know and things that you have to believe. So hear me, just as Paul said, uh, Timothy, you need to pay real close attention to teaching and taking care of the flock of God. That's why your pastor labors in the Word so that you will know what you believe. And I can't stress that enough in our day that you need to know what you believe. Truth matters. I don't want you to poopaw the Greek language, but I, don't, I also want you to understand that doctrine is vitally important, what we believe. Okay, you ready for them? Here they are. That you may know, you see it? Enlightened eyes of the heart. You've been converted, made alive. Paul's praying this will continue. And what do you need to know? The Bible says you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. And again, it's important to think about this. Whose actual calling is it? Your calling? No, it's his calling. You have to know the hope, and the pronoun is definitive. His calling is what you need to know. So, this calling has to do with God's saving purposes. And what does that calling mean? What does it contain? The call of God upon your life. What does it actually contain in us? Well, how about verses 9 and 10? Making known to us the mystery of his will. Aren't you thankful for that? According to his divine purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan from the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How about God's eternal and unconditional election of sinners? Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. How about verse 13, which is the effectual call of God upon your life? Listen to it. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Folks, I've just told you what the calling is. That is actually the calling that Paul says you need to know and you need to Think about it. In other words, it's common sense. You need to know what God did for you in the past when you were not even on the scene. He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. You need to know what God is doing to, for you in the present. He has sealed you with the whole, His Holy Spirit. He is moving you through the process of sanctification. Is that the end of it? No, folks. The hope of the calling is this. That great God and Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we will see our blessed hope face to face. If that doesn't get your fire burning, then your wood is wet. Right? Think about that for a moment. God is taking care of your entire salvation. And the ground of that hope is what God did for you, main verb, in the past. Where he chose you and him before the foundation of the world. And then he's worked on your behalf in the present. And we have a future hope. In other words, God is in control of all things. And then we take those promises... And we obey the scriptures. So, folks, to know the hope of your calling, 
you have to know something about doctrine. You've got to know about your salvation. But not just your salvation, but what about your sanctification? Part of it is hearing the promises of God and believing and obeying what those promises are. That is absolutely the hope of the calling. It is obeying the Lord. It's knowing and applying the truth of God's word. And that future hope, it is all summed up in God, in Christ. See it? He's going to unite all things together in Christ. So simply put, God has called us to a distinct way of life. And we have a glorious future. Do you see how that one phrase, hope of his calling, is so packed? It, is, it has so many different aspects of salvation because of the hope of his calling. What does that do for us today? Does it, make any, does it have any application on us at all today? Well, how about the confidence that we have to live in this world, knowing full well what God has done for us in the past, present, and what he will do in the future? Does that give anybody hope in here other than me? That's the hope that God has given to us. Now, please understand, I don't want us to walk around as, as lopsided, fat-headed Christians. You know what that means? you got all this information in your mind, and you walk around like this, and you can't even hardly move. If it doesn't move us to encourage the brothers and sisters, if it doesn't encourage you to serve God in this community and in this church, if it doesn't move you to cover a multitude of sins and to love the brethren, then we're in trouble, right? We are. But the fact of the matter is we have to know certain things. We have to have our mind filled with the knowledge of Him so that it actually courses through us and we begin to live out the things that God has asked us to do. So do you want stability in life? If you want stability in life, then you need to know the hope of your calling. What God has done in the past, what he's done in the present, doing now, and what our God is going to do in the future. Can we make this practical again? Do you ever encounter despair? Anybody ever been in despair? Uh, you ever gone through a dark night of the soul? Have you ever felt and know full well that the dark, shine, the dark frowning providence of God has arrived in your life? Anybody know the difficulty of losing a family member? I was 30 when my father died. Been down that road of dark frowning providence. Knew full well that God was in control, but yet... It seemed that the sun was eclipsed over my life. You ever been there? Well, folks, let me tell you what you need. Let me tell you first what you don't need. The first thing you need, don't need, is probably medicine. Now, I know that I got doctors in here, and I know that there are certain times when we need medicine. That may not be the first thing you need when you're in a dark time in your life. Your first trip may not be to a couch to listen to somebody psychoanalyze you. What you need to know is the hope of your calling. I'm telling you folks, what you need to know is the truth of the word of God. It is God's word alone that will get you through difficulties in life. And you may say, well, I made it. Well, really? What happens when the next one comes through? And the next one? And the next one? You won't finally make it unless you're making it upon the word of God, which is absolute truth. That's how important it is. So maybe, uh, i tell you this, the Holy Spirit of God can take that truth of the calling, of the hope of your calling. He can wed it together with His Spirit. And He can make the bright, shining sun of hope spring over your life in a moment. Just by your thought processes. Just by you knowing what the truth of the Word of God is. you got to know the hope. Of your calling. And I hate to tell you this, Baptist, but that demands that you think in order to know the hope of your calling. Number two, we will know the glory of his inheritance. Notice again, whose inheritance is it? It's not ours. And absolutely, the Bible teaches that we have an inheritance that is uh, unstained, undefiled, that fades not away. I get that. But in this text, do you know who the inheritance is? You and me, if you're saved. We are God's inheritance. So the request is that we understand what God has made us through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ the Lord. It, it requires that we understand what kind of people we are. Are y'all listening? Are you with me? What is this doctrine about? 
The church. Who are we? Do we even know who we are? But absolutely, this has to do with who we are. So, one of these days, God's going to cash in his inheritance. And we are that inheritance. Just think about that for a moment. You belong to God. That even comes to practical application, doesn't it? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. This affects who we are. So, do you understand the riches of your glorious future? Can we not get excited in 2021 when we don't know what's going to happen in the world we live in? The great U.S. of A. But I'm telling you, there is a wealth in our inheritance In other words, the very resources of heaven are yours. Do you realize this? Notice the terminology. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? A lost person has no idea about the riches and the wealth of his inheritance. And I want to remind you that it's you. Do you realize that you are the inheritance of the covenant-keeping God of Israel? You are his inheritance. Inheritance. Do you realize that you belong to God? We have all of the inexhaustible riches of Christ given to us. Amazing. However, uh, if you're like me, this is what I think sometimes. Lord, how can you look at me and call me the wealth of your inheritance? Anybody got the traces of sin all over them? I'm there. How is it? That God can look at us with all those traces of sin that still remain in the state that you're in today. And yet say that you are the wealth of his inheritance. There's only one way. And that's because you are in Christ Jesus the Lord. It's not because of you. It's not because of the good things. It's not because of anything you could ever do down the line to merit God's grace. It is the straight up special favor of God that rests upon your life, all because of Jesus Christ. So, does this mean something for us? Is there any application to think about our inheritance, meaning uh, his inheritance, meaning that we belong to God? Anybody struggling with sin? Don't look at me so spiritual. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? There's no question about it that we struggle with sin. Are there times when we feel absolutely defeated? Better yet, how many times has our arch enemy, the the, the devil himself, whispered in our ear, if you belonged to God, then you wouldn't think like that. You wouldn't act that way. What is it that you need to do to the enemy? You need to remind the devil that you are a child of the king. And yes, it's not about you, but it is about the Christ that you belong to. Amen? And you need to remind him that you belong to Jesus Christ. Can that make a difference in our lives as we wrestle and fight against sin? You better believe it. The enemy is going to whisper in your ear that you don't belong to God. You need to remind him that you belong to Christ. That's the strength of the wealth of his inheritance, that you belong to God. Folks, listen to me. I'm all about help studies okay but I'm telling you the first thing you need when you're struggling with sin is not seven steps to greater success the first thing you absolutely need to do is you need to know the truth of the word of God to know who you are you belong to the king I had a pair of cowboy boots one time that I loved it's not these obviously but there were some brown ones that had gone south on me and back in the day we were wearing double breasted suits remember that Natalie And boy, I had a pretty blue double-breasted suit on. That thing was styling. But my boots didn't quite go with it because they looked bad. But I was going to wear my boots no matter what. You know why? Because when I slipped my foot in those boots, they were so comfortable. I loved them. And Natalie said, the boots have to go. And I said, let me tell you right quick. Yes, ma'am. They're gone. All right? So I wore a different kind of boot, right? But aren't we so much like that? We entertain things that don't fit our wardrobe anymore. It's so comfortable to slip back into the things of this world. But I want to remind you of who you are. Some things do not fit your wardrobe anymore. As a matter of fact, 
poignantly, Paul says, put off the old man. In other words, there's some things you ought to wear, and there's some things you shouldn't be wearing. And that's true physically and spiritually. Amen? But the fact of the matter is, this is what God has done in us. I'm trying to remind you that you are not some impoverished pauper on the streets of Satanville. You belong to the king. That will make a difference in the way that you live. And finally, we will know the greatness of his power. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. I cannot begin to tell you how many words are involved with that in the original language. You've got the small version. Okay? Can I, is it okay if I tell you what it really says? Here it is. And what is the superabounding greatness of his inherent power to us who are believing ones as measured by the operative energy of the strength of his might? That's seriously what it means. Again, when did the operation start? When did God begin to work in you? When you got saved. But the tense of the verb is that God is continuing to operate in you right now as a believer through his power. That is limitless. That... That is an unbelieving thing. Now, some of you are convinced that God is sovereign. Some of you are convinced that he has unrivaled sovereignty and control and that he is mighty and that he is powerful. But I hope you know what this text says. It says to those who believe. Do you understand? He's not just almighty. He's almighty for you. Right. He's not, he doesn't have just unrivaled sovereignty to himself. He's that way toward those who believe. Do you understand how much power is at your disposal as a, as a Christian? Well, it's furthermore the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's going to be talked about next week. But just think about this. Here we have the God of eternity who is filled with raw, immeasurable, limitless power. And God says, I am your resource to those who believe. The weight of this text is unbelievable. Why is this so astonishing? Here's the practical aspect. I don't know about you guys, but I'm weak. Not only am I a sinner, and am I so thankful that when the Father looks at me, he sees the Son. That is wealth that the world will never know. But second only to that is this incredible reminder that in my weakness, he is strong. I don't know if y'all found this out and figured this out lately, but we're all extremely weak. And the day I met Jesus, I remembered and was reminded more of my weakness than ever in the history of my life. Because when you know him, the light turns on. You understand fully his position and yours. So, husbands, let's make this practical, husbands. Feel like you've been doing a good job lately as a husband? How many of you have the attitude, I'm nailing this thing, I'm knocking it out of the park, I'm the best husband in the world? As a matter of fact, I am so thankful there's not a husband's day. I mean, I get it. Father's Day reminds us, at times, of the responsibility. But we can kind of deal with that, right? But what about this husband thing? That's a big one, isn't it? Huh. Can I tell you simply what you're supposed to do, husbands? It's real easy. Just love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right! How in the world are we supposed to do that? Stumbling, failing. I mean, you left the house with your wife. Don't look at, you left the house, come to, you came to church after living in the home with your wife before, were you a good husband this morning? I mean, how'd things go? How, are you nailing this thing every time? No, what we learn is we're weak. Don't say anything, Natalie, right? <laughs> we stumble. We fail. What does a husband who is weak, who stumbles, and fails, what does he need? He needs the immeasurable power of God to be able to make it. And I'm telling you, folks, that is the resource that we have. Think being a father is hard? Just think about the husband aspect of it. Now, wives, you're all perfect in this church. And I don't need to address you, right? No, there's no question that as a wife and mother, we must have the very power of God. We need the mighty strength of God in our lives. Now, folks, listen to me. Power is an attribute of God. Do y'all know that? So in order to understand God's power, you have to learn about God. You're never going to know the inexhaustible, immeasurable, limitless power of God until you 
wake up your mind and engage in the Scripture and learn about the God who you belong to. There's no way possible that you're going to do it. So here's the deal. His power is available to you. I want to remind you that you're also kept by the power of God, ready for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The very power of God assures your salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, about verse 5, reminds us of the power of God. Okay, here it is. Where's some other power before we close? Did you know that God has given you the power to witness? And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. How about to endure temptation? 1 Corinthians 10.13. The Bible reminds us that our God has been given to us, His Spirit, in order for us to endure temptation through His very power. God is faithful. How about to live holy lives? Ephesians 1.4. How about to learn the Word of God? 1 John 2.27. How about to walk in the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. How about the power to do the very will of God? Ephesians 5.18. I'm just reminding you of 2 Peter chapter 1. You've been given all that pertains to life and godliness. Everything you need to live for God has been given to you. And His power has been given to you. Praise God. Now, here's how I want to end this sermon. When you study the Bible this week, The first thing I want you to do is open up the Word of God and look at Ephesians chapter 1 and read verses 18 and 19. And then read the Bible. Why? Because you're praying that God will enlighten the eyes of your heart. So that you will know His calling. So that you'll understand what it means to belong to God. And that you will have His power in your life. Isn't that a good way to start a Bible session? Youth, when you go up to hear Brother Jeffrey preach the Word... On Wednesday nights. You need to read Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 before you go up there so that your mind is locked in to the Word of God. Not the theatrics and games and entertainment. That's not the most important thing. When he opens the Word of God, we need eyes to see. And when you come into this auditorium, when's the last time you prayed that God would, would preach you full through a preacher who is full of the Word of God? Right? God, help me as I enter that auditorium to put my focus on the eyes of the heart being enlightened so that we know some things, so that we can live for our God. That's my challenge to you, okay? Now, here's the deal. If you're lost today, do you know the power of Jesus Christ? His power was so awesome that he bore the sins of the world upon himself. In his body, on the tree. But the grave could not hold him once he died. Amen? And he came forth from the grave. That's the next section in our teaching. We'll finish chapter 1 next week. Do you understand that Jesus Christ alone is the Savior of the world? He's the only one that can save you. And you may think the power of sin over your life is something that no one can touch. But I'm telling you, he can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. He has the power to regenerate your heart and make you alive. No matter how of a rotten sinner you think you are. Look, I want to remind you that he is way great, more of a wonderful, mighty, great Savior than you are a sinner. He is today. You think about this. He's a greater Savior than you are a sinner. And he can save your soul. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truth of Scripture. God, help us. Help me. Lord, give me enlightened eyes of the heart to understand truth, to apply it to life, and to live for you. Lord, if there's someone who is lost under the sound of my voice, Lord, let them witness as a testimony the immeasurable power of Jesus Christ to change a life, save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing these words together. You heard our pastor talk about knowing the Lord today. Let's sing this. This is a wonderful song. Sing it. Tell, dear, build my life upon all this world reveres and wars to all.
David and I looked at this song this week because it was in my mind after the sermon text. This verse, listen to it, all right? Sing it to the glory of the Lord and listen to the words, all right? Now my heart's desire is to know you more. to know the power of your risen life. Oh, to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your suffering. To become like you. To become like you in your death, my Lord. So with you to live and never die. Knowing no greater thing, no greater joy in life. Tonight, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Please listen in your heart to the command of the Lord that as often as you do this, right, do this, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the church. The only other one is baptism. If you're not someone who takes part in the Lord's Supper, then you need to check up on your own spiritual identity. I have to be honest with you. Uh, some, t- some people go years and never partake of the Lord's table. It's not what the Bible tells us, folks. We should break bread regularly as a church over the Lord's Supper so that we hear about the body and the blood of Christ. Amen? Hope you'll come back tonight. Look forward to seeing you. As we close, let's sing together. Praise God from whom